Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Copysmith. Copysmith is this incredibly cool Alberta-based company that got on my radar about three, four months ago. What they do is they use cutting-edge AI technology to help you with your copywriting. That can be ads, it can be you know product descriptions, it can be emails, social media posts, even blog copy. And I know recently they just added a feature to help you with your landing page copy. So this isn't just for marketers. This is for anyone where copywriting comes up on a daily basis, which for many of us is frequently and also can be a bit intimidating. If you're not a writer, but yet it's something we have to do and we have to do well to get our messages across. Having a tool like this really helps you get that first draft, gets you started, gets you 80, 90% of the way there. It really drops the intimidation factor and gets things rolling. So if you're curious to learn more and you want to take technology out of this cool realm of something you heard about to actually a practical use case, check out Copysmith. Their platform is, like I said, I've been using it for about three, four months personally, and it has been beneficial on multiple occasions. So copysmith.ai and use the promo code collision for 30% off any of their plans for the first three months. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Miss Christine Gillies. How are you, Christine? I'm great. How are you, Tyler? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for making this happen. You and I have been playing the, the podcast phone tag game and two busy people finally get aligned. I'm really excited to talk to you today for a multiple of reasons, but I can't tell you how many times over the last 140, 150 episodes, someone has talked about Benevity on the show and how like we've got these great Calgary stories and they don't always get told. And now live and in the flesh, we have director of product and client marketing at Benevity on. So from that perspective, welcome to you and welcome to Benevity to be to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me today. It's a real honor and I feel in great company having listened to quite a number of your past episodes. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. I pre- I, I appreciate I was I love I love meeting a fan, you know, for a long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you? How long you been in Benevity? And we're get, we're getting it. Today's about brand and marketing in Western Canada. I think we're going to cover a lot of topics, but that's the that's the backdrop. So we're going to keep that in mind. And of course, I'm a professional creeper, so I've been on LinkedIn, and you have got marketing in one form or another, and also business development. You got a real mixed bag in your in your in your history here, which is awesome. But how long you been in Benevity? And talk a little bit about your role there, and we'll see. We'll let sure. it unfold. Yeah. Thank you. Um, So I joined Benevity just about two years ago as the head of product and client marketing. And um, here, though, we are in a major growth phase here at Benevity. And one of the reasons why you're probably hearing about Benevity more and more is we did just receive a um, transaction from a company in the UK called HG Capital. And so we've hit this unicorn status as a billion dollar valuation in Canada. And um, the other really exciting thing is that we have promoted quite a number of female leaders at Benevity. In fact, we have about 70% of our executive team are females. And so that's really unique, especially in the tech sector, where we see still just about 20% of executive positions held by women. And so it's a, it's a company that really does look to um, build diversity out. And um, also our em- employee base reflects that as well with um, all, about half of the employees here at Benevity are women as well. 
What's uh, how big are you guys? Like, I, I I know you and I know of you, but I don't know the, the logistics. And just to give you know, and, oh and, sure, and, and this yeah. is a Calgary problem. We we don't always know what's happening right across the street from us. Hence why we even started the show. <laughs> well, I would I would say that it is just in the last year or so, Benemity's really hit the radar of a lot of people. But prior to that. Um, there wasn't a lot of knowledge or even effort and energy put into telling locally the Benevity story. Mm. Um, but so we were founded about 13 years ago by Brian DeLottenville. He's the founder. And um, we have grown to about 700 employees and we will plan to add probably another 150 or so, I'm estimating, in the next year. So we're, we're growing aggressively and um, we're always interested in looking for new talent here. And curious, and so many rabbit holes we can go down, but I can't, I yeah. can't, I can't hear that 150, you know, gap or opportunity. Are these people going to be in Calgary? Are you guys hiring like work remote? Does this open it up? Can you find the talent? Like that's a that's a that's a real number when you hear statistics where we've got X amount of text jobs that can't be filled, but yet we've still got all these very skilled individuals that can't find work. It's an interesting kind of problem we're in right now. Yeah, well, certainly the new remote reality has opened up new hiring markets for us. Um, we are headquartered in Calgary, and we have offices in Toronto as well as Victoria. Okay. And we have um, quite a number of employees in the U.S. as well, located all across the country. Um, so I would say that, yeah, over the last year, we have been able to hire people in different cities across Canada. We typically look um, to Calgary and Canada first, and then if there's a specialized skill set that we need, we would look at other jurisdictions. But I will say, you know, I think that we are also starting to think about what does a hybrid kind of workplace look like, and we do have this beautiful office in Calgary in Bridgeland that is overlooking the Bow River, and so you know, we would like to get back here. And um, and it's also a huge part of Benevity's culture is this office space. And so I think um, also we have an office in Victoria and Toronto. Again, they're beautiful spaces where people just really enjoy um, being in, in, these, in these offices. They were designed for collaboration and fun and creativity. And so... Um, I think as we're thinking about what does our hybrid work culture look like, or and, and some people will want to come back in some mm-hmm. capacity and some people will want to stay at home, um, how, how can we um, plan for that? And so that's why, back to the hiring question, I think ideally we are still looking for people first and foremost in the areas where we have offices. I appreciate it. I think, I think that th- this new playbook is yet to be written and there's lots of conversations. I do appreciate that, you know, a year ago companies came out bold. No, we'll never go back to the office. And now you're hearing the opposite story of like, well, that's not necessarily how all humans work. So let's be balanced. And I think like a lot of things, it's just going to open up more opportunity for people to maybe fit a little bit more in what's balanced for them. I, it makes it more complex, but yet I think it creates more options because, you know, we're all not universally the same and designed to have work or act in a, in a way, which let's be honest, before there was kind of a bit rank and file you had to fit into this mold where i love that that mold's been broken a little bit i think that's right yeah 
Yeah, and it's interesting. You even hear people saying that they miss their commute, if you can believe that. I mean, not everybody misses a commute, that is for sure. But some people have said that they purposefully walk around the block before they start work at home, just so that they get that transition time. And then they do the same thing at the end of the day, just to bookend the day, um, the work day. Yeah. The, 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 from a coaching perspective or from even a psycho, the, the, the value of, a, of interrupting your pattern or creating a bit of a break state in your day. And also, I don't know about you, but my podcast consumption, I, maybe, I feel, maybe I'm not supposed to say this as a podcast, it's gone way down because I'm not in the car as much. It's a lot harder to listen to yeah. a podcast in the kitchen with the dog and life and everything. I, but in the car, boom, I'm, I'm on, I'm listening. So I, I, sometimes I drive out to the mountains just so I can catch up on some of my listening. <laughs> That's right. Or even just think about air travel. We would always yeah. load up our smartphones with podcasts so that we would have something to consume. So yeah, we don't so, have that uh, time soon, soon that will all work its way back. Hey, you said something earlier on that I want to I want to pivot back to. You, you mentioned sure. about we didn't spend a lot of energy telling our story locally, and one of the reasons why I put this podcast together, I've had a lot of people come on to talk about the fact that, like, wow, in this new world, or even from the downturn, or even now from COVID, the the one two punch here in Alberta, companies are not selling to the people they used to sell to. They're also looking overseas, and this is where for me as a marketer, I'm like, oh wow, there's a new tool set that maybe hasn't been brought to the table before hasn't had to because we knew who our customers were we've been doing business with them for years we had handshake deals and we did and we did business i'm oversimplifying but for you guys you know you're you've grown your success by not focusing on companies in alberta or canada if i understand the story correctly so how's that been in that journey and i know you've only been there for the last couple years and are canadian companies getting more on board and maybe just talk a little bit about your playbook over the years because yeah going abroad is is easy to say it's hard to do (laughs) right exactly and that is kind of why Benevity is a unique success story here in Alberta is because um, it started with a few um, developers over top of a shawarma shop on in, in Mission on 4th Street, actually. And um, they were, had ambitious goals. And, and one of the things they did was set their sights on Fortune 500 companies. Most startups would start small with SMEs and then move to mid-market and then go enterprise. Um, and Benevity decided to go enterprise and so landed clients like Nike in the early days came on board and then we just continued to build out um, sort of in the Fortune 1000 and it's now that we are really going down market and um, and of course there's still a lot of work to be done in the enterprise space as well but we look to U.S. companies um, first and foremost but then I would also say we do work with companies locally like um, Suncor for example is a client and some of the big energy players okay. there's Canadian companies like RBC and um and an ATB here in Alberta, they're also a client. So we do have quite a few Canadian companies. I would just say that in those early days, um, mm-hmm. landing some of those larger, big, iconic brands, that was really important for us um, in, in order to, um, to, to <clears throat> excuse me, gain the interest of the other companies kind of in the enterprise space. I appreciate that. Well, one, you knew you knew who you, you had a very clear target of who you wanted to go after, and you guys being very purpose driven, I could see where it would also be really easy to look at those big companies and go, okay, who are the ones that are really saying this is what's important to us? Like understanding what matters to your customer, and you know, I would say again, I'm I'm, I'm making a few, I'm prophesizing a bit. Uh, the Canadian landscape, I would. Uh, 
is, or in your mind, I would believe has progressed. So there was probably 10 years ago, 13 years ago, companies in the US that were maybe a little farther down the curve of wanting to bring on board what you, there was probably more alignment maybe as Canada's got, are, are we getting more on board with understanding that purpose needs to be more close to the surface in everything we do where maybe 13 well, years 100%, ago wasn't? I, yeah, I mean, I think, um, so you're probably familiar with Clayton Christensen crossing the chasm when it comes mm -hmm. to technology. So yes. we, we did have to look at some more progressive companies in those early days um, in terms of bringing um, corporate purpose in as part of their ethos and brand and, um, and to their employee engagement kind of solutions or employee engagement programs rather. And so, yeah, we, we needed to look in markets where we were finding, um, yeah, m companies that were willing to take a little more of the, a risk as early adopters. And then now I would say, um, as we're getting into that early majority and companies, especially in the last year, are really understanding the need, the value of a corporate purpose program, that it's not optional any longer because millennials and, and a lot of young, young workers, all workers, they really want to choose an employer who stands for something. And um, so... That has also helped in the last year, just with all of with COVID and with the Black Lives Matter movement and so many kind of social crises and companies are saying, uh, employees rather are saying, um, I want to work for an employer who's going to let me um, make a difference in the world and who stands for something. If you know you're you're thinking about a company who's in early stages or is a mature company, but they're all of a sudden been impacted by the downturn and they're looking to expand to other markets, just maybe your perspective on you know what, what's the best way? Because sometimes you get overwhelmed by the research. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna do a big research. Oh my god, that's really expensive. I don't know if we should do that. And your thoughts on like how do you work through that product market fit? Whether you're an established company who's needing to pivot again, I think pivot is one of the mm -hmm. the twenty the twenty twenty buzzwords. You're looking to pivot, or you're a startup who's got an idea and you don't know if it's fully baked yet, like. I love your title, the director of product and client marketing and how close those are related. And, you know, to me, you can't really get to, you know, marketing is interesting. It almost gets parked until you're getting the fit right with your customer and you know what that message is. That's right. So, thoughts yeah. on how okay. to approach that or, yeah, sure, digging sure, in a little sure. bit. Yeah, your yes. point of view. Uh, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I'm very passionate about product marketing and client marketing and product marketing as a discipline. And um, pragmatic marketing is fantastic, and I'll just give that a plug in terms of um, teaching the fundamentals around product marketing. Okay. That's out of the U.S., and they train most of the um, Silicon Valley or most tech companies. Um, they would send their product managers and product marketers through the pragmatic program. So oh, I can't. I've never heard, I've never heard of that. That's a great. Oh, it's that's fantastic. A great, okay, I'm gonna go and check it out. Um, and so really what. That, what they really focus on is identifying uh, the persona. And so who exactly is the buyer? How are you going to reach that buyer? What motivates them to take action? And, um, and really getting very clear and by doing some um, interviews with prospects as well as current clients. Also doing win-loss interviews. This is also really key to understanding the mindset of your buyer. And then once you can understand what problems that you're solving for that persona, then of course you've 
frame your solution in terms of easing those pain points and um, helping to build value for that persona. And so that work, I would say, in especially with Western Canadian companies, in my experience, is not well understood. We were talking about this earlier, Tyler, that very often marketing people in Western Canada or companies, they kind of oversimplify it. Oh, it's social media. It's a website. Or, hey, we do marketing. We we sponsor this golf tournament. And But there's really this foundational layer that needs to happen in terms of understanding the competitive landscape, understanding how you outshine your competitors, what's your unique value proposition, that's a buzz term that's thrown around. But so often the messaging and positioning work, it's not done. And people, you've got salespeople talking a different language than you would have um, your CEO. And so just to make sure you get that product um, pitch clean and tight messaging and positioning, that sets you up for success. And I would also say the next part is always be testing your messaging and positioning and never stop doing those win-loss interviews as well. So I'm not necessarily talking about benevity here. I was talking about, you know, my passion for product and client marketing overall. No, which I appreciate that. I love the conversation and I, I do agree and I'm going to pick on Western Canada a little bit and I wonder and I get, I don't know your thoughts, like sometimes we're a little bit less sophisticated on a marketing journey because it just hasn't been as part as, as is required amount and this is not a universal statement and we're just talking no, about, of course. you know, there's it's some great marketers too. here. Yeah, it is. It is changing. There's a maturation of, of there the is. thinking here overall as well. I agree, but you miss that if you miss that part, and then product is over here, sales is over here, and heaven forbid, some poor marketer is jammed in the middle. And I've seen that in Alberta, where you know someone gets hired and they're supposed to be good at everything, but the company's like, no, no, we don't have time to do the messaging. Let's just get out and sell this product. But then it doesn't work. And then who gets blamed? Was the product wrong? Is sales wrong? And seeing your yeah. title, it really struck me as someone who had spent a lot of time in the marketing world, but now had product in their name. So I, I was really excited to kind of touch on this because I think it's also something I'm I'm seeing pop up more and more and more because it needs to be. Absolutely. And also, um, you know, that product management piece, I also want to give a plug for that. I would say, so prior to joining um, Benevity, I worked for a smaller tech company called Aware360, but also a nonprofit for a while called MyTax. And um, they put together collaborations between university researchers and companies And so I had an opportunity to really understand the startup space Mm -hmm. in Western Canada and in particular Alberta. And what I would find in talking to CEOs of small companies and, and also sort of those who are heading up research and development in those small companies is that they would say, well, we have a sales problem. They would always look to sales for not being a, and so they would continue to hire salespeople and then sort of reluctantly um, add a marketer. You've probably experienced this I have, too, Tyler, I, have right? I have. This feels very familiar. You're touching re- home, Christine. <laughs> exactly. Reluctantly add a marketer and they would say, well, we need a brochure and we need a website. But really, again, just back to that point around um, 
Do you really understand product market fit? There's a role for product management. And so that is sort of the, I'm putting in quotes, CEO of the product. That's someone who's listening to the market, who's taking in information from current clients, but also prospects, adjacent markets, and understanding what problems need to be solved and then prioritizing the roadmap and working with development in order to build those user stories around the features that need to be built out next. And then working with the product marketer on the entire go-to-market. I'm also very passionate about the entire go-to-market function of an organization. So that's sales and marketing working together with your client success team in order to make sure you have a sort of well-oiled machine when you're doing a product launch that you've got all the resources and that you need to arm your salespeople to tell a good story and that you've got um, uh, just, again, that you're coming to market in a tight way so that everybody's singing from the same song sheet. What is this product? But most importantly, what problem are we trying to solve and what's the why? You really got to get at the why and what problem are you solving um, first and foremost and take that outside in perspective. I would say just back to, again, your question, Tyler, Western Canadian companies, what are they typically doing? It's not just Western Canadian companies. It's all kind of startups and tech companies are challenged often. They're so passionate about the product. And so really getting a market view, bringing clients in, bringing prospects in to speak at your company so that those personas aren't just on paper. So they don't just, we don't just have an idea of who the buyer is, but we actually know the buyer. What did you, and so what was your answer to all these smaller companies, the startups you were talking with when they said the classic answer is, I just don't have time to do all that. I've heard you it many times. I don't know it. if you, you but yeah, I have it. more than well, once. Can't we just do a, a brochure? Can we just make a brochure? <laughs> that's a good question. I would say, yeah, the answer is sort of the, the best way to convince someone is a case study. I would say I would dust off crossing the chasm and it's as a classic and show that, um, and show how this has been, this is not a unique problem of every company, the product market fit piece and understanding mm-hmm. how to, um, to, to help um, move from early adopters through to that kind of early majority and late majority. And so just kind of showing the case studies of companies that have been successful at this by employing some of the fundamentals. And then honestly, I mean, maybe you in your position, Tyler, in running an agency, I think I would just hack together some um, product messaging and um, try it out for them, like offer it as a solution and see if it works for them. It's interesting because, you know, and product market fit, again, not a new concept, but it feels it's started to see the light of day here, even maybe the last couple of years, or it certainly got on my radar a lot more, or maybe it just wasn't called that, but it seems to be, it seems to be much more of a, it's, it's trending that term. I don't know if I can say that, if that's the right, if I, that's, I sound uncool to say that, but it feels like I'm hearing it like in the last two years, I've heard it gradually more and more on every conversation I've been on in the last 12 months than I did the 12 months prior. This has been my armchair observation. Yeah, and, and again, I think it's there's a framework for being able to define um, that persona tightly and then who else is involved in the buying process. 
as well. I think that's also important. Very often, if you're selling business to business, there's more than one decision maker. And so what kind of story are you telling? What kind of collateral are you producing for every one of those buyers? So here, for example, at Benevity, we we um, typically are looking at talking to a corporate social responsibility professional who's mm -hmm. manager or director level. But we also know that in the evaluation of Benevity as a solution, that often IT is at the table and procurement. And so how do we make sure that we have appropriate materials that are going to be able to address the questions that those other individuals at the table? And then increasingly, we're seeing C the C-suite come to the table and they're interested, especially from an ESG perspective, environmental social governance. And um, and so we, we need to be making sure that we're messaging on multiple levels, not only, hey, what will the product do to improve the um, life of our um, corporate social responsibility manager, who's the client, but also the company overall. How do we work with marketing to tell, help tell the story of what the investment in corporate resp social responsibility is doing for the brand overall? I, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. I went down the Gartner statistics rabbit hole the other day and they showed oh, like, you know, in 2020, it's now become like they said, on, on average, a typical mid-market B2B sales transaction has 11 stakeholders. Each stakeholder will bring four to six pieces of their own research to the table. And they also yeah. said, which I thought was really interesting, even after purchase, 46% of the decision makers still felt there was a risk they made the wrong decision. That's a pretty heavy weight to try to make sure that you're stewarding that process. Like just the amount of technology, like the amount of messaging, like what IT needs to hear versus procurement versus your, and I love that you brought in ESG because in Alberta, sometimes ESG, to me, it's easy to slip it more into the industrial side and the environmental side and what's happening there. But when you talk about diversity, inclusion, and the social side of responsibility, it's really interesting on how many like, and I think that's also something that's really become trickled down out of the, the thought leaders to the mass majority in the last even 12 months. Oh, 100%. So many threads to pick up on there, Tyler. <laughs> the so other like thing I was going to tell you about B2B buying that makes me really excited um, as a marketer is um, the recent research that's coming out around, and it is a Gartner stat actually, that 90% of the research um, or evaluation of software is done online prior to the uh, buyer making an outreach or, or requesting a demo or requesting to speak to someone in the company. And so what that means for companies who are looking at um, solving their solution or pitching technology or whatever solution it is, is that we have to build um, resources online and um, almost digital experiences in order to offer up the information that a buyer needs to that's going through that process of gathering information. And um, so that's something, especially in the new remote reality that we um, want to focus on here, but also I think all marketers need to, is that how are you building out your web presence and, and how are you creating resources online? How are you creating a community online that helps your buyers find you and then also gives them the information that they need because they don't really want to engage a salesperson until later in the process? 
I, uh, I got, it's funny. I love, I love, we're playing the stats game right now. Cause I just did a presentation the other day on kind of B2B trends and the other stat, the one that you just said I had from Gardner, the other one was 72% of decision makers prefer to get company information from articles. And I was like, and you know, 78% require multiple calls from the salesperson sales, sales cycles lasting a hundred plus days. And then there's 11 people being involved. <clears throat> I love it. I, I like, I'm like, Oh, we're, we, we read the same stats, uh, Christine. So curious, question about sure. web, websites. Sure. I've had this debate with people where, ah, websites, you know, it's such a place, such a small role. It doesn't really need to be anything. It can just be a landing page. But yet I'm seeing lots of statistics where that piece of owned collateral still plays such a critical part, like almost more than ever. You know, underestimated resources, your website and your, and, and your ability to communicate with people on email. Two things I think, like I find people like to dismiss, but I would argue that they're actually more important than ever. So I'm curious of your views mm. if we get in. We're way down in the weeds now, you and I. I know, we're in the weeds. Um, and then we'll come back to diversity. We, we, we will. It's a journey. It's an adventure. It's a journey. Oh, so I just read this McKinsey study that was forwarded from a colleague here that um, B2B buying will not return to in-person. That um, So companies will need to revisit their websites and their digital presence overall. Like I say website, I think a lot of companies you can easily think of Um, your digital presence as your website but you know you need to be thinking across all platforms what is your LinkedIn profile like are you using LinkedIn groups for example you can build community that way and then um, also you just brought up the role of media and articles and PR is also our public relations or your media strategy that's also critical to being able to fill your funnel and um, generate awareness and then uh, move the the buyers, the prospects through the funnel um, as well, because it gains, um, you you really build credibility and confidence um, in having strong PR strategy. So just back earlier in my career, I worked at Smart Technologies um, for about 10 years. And so also, uh, so smart, the, the makers of the smart board, interactive whiteboard, and they really created that category of the smart board. And so uh, back in those days, we really did understand the value of um, PR and regional PR as well. And so pitching not only to sort of the big media, like, um, you, you know, the dailies, um, Globe and Mail or, you mm-hmm. know, Washington Post, but also trade media. So trade media publications also go a long way. And, um, and so, and again, here at Benevity in the last year, we've also been putting a little more emphasis on um, proactive media relations. And, but okay. we've got great stories to tell. And maybe this is our link back to diversity and inclusion with the promotion of so many um, female executives here. We've also seen quite an interest in um, Benevity as, as a um, unique story in the tech space. I appreciate, the, again, the, the pay to own and earned. Like, it's an old formula, but yeah. it makes sense. You know, did you have to pay for it? Do you own it, which is website, LinkedIn? And then did you earn it, which is what you're talking about, that that very strategic communications. And I had, uh, well, someone that you also know, Tracy Bodnerchuk was on, and she has a very rich comms background. She says, when you think of Alberta, we were a lot better almost years ago. She goes, we have good marketers here too, but the comms background here is so strong because we had so many companies that focused on that rather than marketing, especially in the in the resource sector. And when you think of comms, 
comms and then PR. And it, it's, you know, I could say it's very confusing for a lot of, you know, executives that aren't used to this space because we all overlap a little bit. When yeah. I see we all being the marketers, the comms people, the PR exactly. teams. But ultimately, I like, you know, bring it back to what you said. Well, who's, I, your, who's, your, who's your persona and where do they hang out? Exactly. Where do they hang yeah. out? That's right. Um, and I was also just going to say one of the things that I think um, small companies could do is consider working with a uh, media specialist who I think for like a relatively small budget, you can tell some client stories, some client success stories and do some mm-hmm. pitching and um, and land yourself some media coverage. And so the, I've often seen that the ROI on media is relations is really there for small companies and so it's just important to keep in mind as part of the overall mix I think that's really what we're getting to is that marketing is about making sure that you've done those foundational um, that you've done the foundational research you've, you've nailed that product market fit and the messaging and positioning and competitive differentiation but also thinking about all the different ways that you can reach people. And it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not a, I need a brochure. It's not a, I need a website. Um, You really have to have an army of specialists that are going to be able to build your profile to help you win and attract more clients. Absolutely. I think something that I'm certainly hearing, you know, it also that earned piece of media or what you might get attention for might be the how, not just the what. And I love you talk about, you know, and I can sense a huge sense of pride and as you should be for the diversity that you've created at Benevity, which fits with your brand, but also is technically not what you sell. You're not like, that was something you did that was newsworthy and certainly relevant to to current culture that you can be very proud of that then makes people go, well, who are they and what do they do? Like, it doesn't always have to be about the product or even the solution you're providing. It could be also just how you work or the impact that you have around you. Like, don't underestimate what, you know, what you may take for granted as just being the way you work. It might be newsworthy. Right. Absolutely. Well, but just one fine point there is that um, a lot of our clients and I'd say the corporate social responsibility space overall does look to Benevity in terms of leading the way or what are your best practices there because um, it's a it's a sector where or it's a space where community is really important and we're all learning from each other. And, and so Benevity's um, solutions do offer some avenue to help companies with their own diversity, inclusion, and belonging initiatives. Um, So specifically, we have a product called Missions, which helps people sort of take small actions in their life, as well as helps companies like um, educate employees on specific issues like diversity, inclusion, and belonging, or like um, racial, how do do we have... um, racial conversations like so we're publishing a racial conversations guide coming up and so okay i understand i appreciate that yeah so just Um, a nuance there no, thank you for clar- thank you for clarifying. As you know, again, I've driven by your building many times. I know who you are and I know your stories, but not having worked with you, that's why it's so important to get your message out in many different. So I'm like, okay, great, thank you. I learned something a little bit deeper about the space you guys play in. Uh, curious, because you guys work on such a global, uh, your customers are global. 
where do we sit and like is Canada how are we doing on that on that path to diversity and inclusion belonging are you seeing other parts of the world that are ahead of us and I'm not saying that in as a criticism I just want to understand you know where are we and are you seeing progress and are, are we are we getting better oh a hundred percent yes and again I think the last year is was a real catalyst um, for a lot of companies to decide to take action in a, in a new and different way. And so, um, I would, yeah, absolutely. I would say originally we saw companies like we do have a lot of, um, Silicon Valley or the big tech companies that have very progressive programs. They were early movers in the space, but we are seeing all, all sectors coming to the table. Like we have We've also had been working with financial services companies for many years, and you would think of them as a little more traditional mm-hmm. manufacturing, retail. And so, you know, I would say that just overall, there is um, an increasing awareness in the value of employee engagement and corporate social responsibility as a real lever. Um, so a cultural lever um, and a lever that helps attract and retain top talent, but it's also really important to shareholders. And so that's where that whole ESG piece comes in. Well, the evolution of ESG is so interesting. And again, talking about an acronym that a few years ago wasn't on anybody's radar. And in the last 24 months, 36 months, I've certainly seen it. My wife works in oil and gas and she's she's helping them with their emissions reporting and working in the ESG space. And each letter has a very different weighting in different companies on how they, like what's being regulated versus what's being, you know, if you're, if, if, if your funders or your, or your shareholders are causing, are having an issue, well, then that drives financial, the ability to raise money. It's interesting how it's becoming a non-negotiable. And I think that's, I think that's a good thing. It's kind of, it's, it's the doors are getting closed around ESG that there's no way to not start to participate in that space, which I think is yes, very positive. I've heard it described as the, there's a rise of the S in ESG. So traditionally ESG was used to report on environmental measures. And again, here in our backyard in the energy sector, that's where we heard about ESG is mostly around um, minimizing environmental impacts. And then more and more, the social piece is really around your people and the rise of the power of the individual. And um, what are you doing to uh, make the world a better place, but also to empower your employees to be a part of that and um, helping companies to to be able to have yeah employees be a part of the ESG story mm-hmm. and um yeah. When you talk about inclusion, it's it's not just, you know, a report that ends up on my island or my life's like, oh, our, our companies, here's our new ESG report. It's so, it need, it, the opportunity for it to be so much bigger than that. And back to a way as, as employers or as team leads or as owners, how do we connect people into this bigger thing that we're doing and let, allow them to feel like they're part of something? And it's so obvious when you say it, it just feels so human, doesn't it? <laughs> right. Yeah, it absolutely does. Yeah. <laughs> So, Christine, curious. We're take it up. We're gonna we're gonna pull on the throttle and or push on the throttle and lay, go up a little bit. When you think about Alberta, I've had a lot of guests on over the last kind of year and uh, year and a half, and they're like, "Well, wow, Alberta, we got a bit of a branding problem. We've got a bit of like, you know, if you go to Toronto, mm-hmm. they think of us this way. You know, being someone who spent a lot of her time in a, a career here and based here. Are you from here? Are you are you an Albertan? Well, I was born in Calgary, and I always say like ah. I keep. I, I left a number of times and then um, have come back again. So nice. I grew up as a kid in Sydney, Australia, 
As an oh, very interesting. And, yeah, as an oil and gas brat, then we went down <laughs> there um, for a few years. And then um, I did spend um, almost a year in the Netherlands after I finished university here and then um, lived for a number of years in New York City where I worked in technology as well. Very good. That's a very cool question. Well, then this question is even, 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 even better. View from, you can't see the label when you're inside the bottle. And sometimes in Alberta, I talk to people and we're like, this is how we are and this is how the world sees us. And then I talk to my family in Montreal and they're like, well, no, we heard on the news this. So curious from the perspective of, you know, you and I are in a room and like, okay, what, we got to look at where we sit here. Uh, thoughts on the role that marketing and brand can play in terms of, you know, who we actually are and from our point of view versus maybe how we get seen from the outside. Any perspective on that? This is just fun, blue sky kind of chat. Oh, yeah. Well, I think we do suffer from Canadian-itis, which is maybe we're not as brazen in terms of telling, beating our chest and telling our story um, beyond the walls of our own companies, but also um, outside of Western Canada, even to the world. I think Canada does have, and in Alberta specifically, we have so many fantastic innovation stories and tech startup stories. Um, there's a lot of really cool technology that's coming out of um, Alberta. Like, I don't know if you've heard of Kent Imaging, for example. They nope. use infrared technology to measure oxygen levels in tissue, and they are based here, so medical tech company. Um, as well as Orpex or Kinetics, which is founded yes, know. by, yep. you know, Brianne Everett. I do. We were, uh, her and I were top 40 under 40 the same year, back oh, a few years fantastic. ago. A few years, a few, I snuck in, I snuck in under the wire, but yeah, I met her. I met her then. I saw she was on a panel discussion yesterday with uh, Calgary Economic Development when they did the report to the community. I saw her. I hadn't seen her uh, for a while and she was, uh, she was on that panel, but yeah, there's some, uh, don't you love this big, small town we live in just by just what happened right here? Exactly. That, that is such a, that's such an advantage that we have of terms of how we connect. Yeah, no, there I mean, is. A, I think. I think there's a better story coming. I don't know if we've been great at telling our story. We, we kept. We Canadianitis. Uh, yeah, that says it all right there. <laughs> yeah, and so I would love it if that were our problem to solve, Tyler. That we could help um, Western Canadian companies maybe beat their chest a little bit more. Um, I think we'll get there. Um, we are getting there. I'd love to see the evolution even just over the last 10 years. But I think we, we need to encourage people to uh, be bold in their positioning and messaging and to um, kind of also maybe step up in terms of marketing and communications yeah. and really invest in that as opposed to letting the growth of your company be a little more organic or sales led. No, I think there's, a, I think, well, it's, it's kind of the theme of today, like what role does marketing play as a lever? And as we embrace that a little bit more and seeing it maybe more as, as, as a, I want to use the word profit center, like not a cost center. I think sometimes I've been in conversations with companies that are traditional Alberta, they've done business a certain way. They see it purely as a cost center versus actually an opportunity to leverage and get some of that earned media you talked about and so how get a do little you, bit more awareness. It's a, this is a good opportunity for me to interview you. So how do you <laughs> uh -oh. Oh, tell the that are story, right? So how, I should be your guest host one day and interview you. <laughs> I'll take um, you up on it. <laughs> how do you tell that story then in a pitch from moving that mindset from cost center to 
profit center or cost center to, you know, critical investment to that entrepreneurs need to make in their companies. I think I'm not to borrow off our earlier conversation that fit right into my own narrative, but how I use it as a way to how do we get product and sales closer together? How do we use it as a sales enablement tool and try and tie it to something that is already seen from a revenue perspective, mm. but really look at it as there as a support tool. It's a conduit a little bit from the product. Well, you kind of go out to the customer, you can pull back in, you obviously get the information that the sales team has because they are belly to belly with the customer on a regular basis mm-hmm. and then try to bridge that gap, but ultimately to enable like marketing is there yeah. to enable that sales and ultimately from a client-centric perspective to give that to surprise and delight and give that customer what they're looking for when they maybe didn't even know that's what they were looking for. And I believe marketing plays a role to conduit that and bringing like, I I agree with you, I'm all about the persona and the journey, but how do we get the product and the sales teams closer together? And I think marketing can play that job better than it has uh, universally. Like some the companies that do it well, nail it. The companies that don't, marketing just looks like, ah, you're just creating brochures versus actually pulling that kind of magic sauce through to the sales team and then constantly iterating on what Mm -hmm. they're learning. So that's my version of it. And if you can get tied to the sales team and really be their biggest supporters and biggest enablers, I should say, man, at the end of the day, the customer wins and the the bottom line wins. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to say one more thing back to your question. Thank you for that, by the way. It's great. Um, I wanted to- (laughs) Good question. You got me. You got me. You made me sweat for a second. (laughs) Um, I just wanted to add one more thing about you know, how are we doing in Western Canada or even just Canadians telling our story? And I think I was talking to a friend of mine, Oba Harding, and he works for Western Economic Diversification. And um, I think one of the things that Alberta-based companies could do better is leverage the communities that and the the grants and resources that are available to them in order to reach markets outside of Western Canada. And so, um, for example, you know, there's platform here in Calgary and um, again, just Western economic diversification overall. There's the Creative Destruction Lab. There's Alberta IoT. There's so many. My tax is another one. But they're really our innovation ecosystem in Alberta is stacked with so many resources and grants and funding opportunities. And then I've noticed in Alberta that we tend to have a sort of like we don't want a government handout kind of mentality here. And there but these programs and platforms and communities are really good at creating connections, um, establishing introductions to Silicon Valley, helping broker introductions to um, markets in Europe. And so I would say just putting some energy into working with some of those players in the community. Alberta Innovates, for example, and... um, So I always make a recommendation for companies, make sure that you are working with these agencies and nonprofits that are available because they have been catalysts to help a lot of Western Canadian companies succeed and go global. 
I love that you, I'm a huge, like, Terry, I've had Terry Rock on multiple times. I've had Brenda Beckedorf from Alberta IoT. That's exactly. so, so, like CDL. Uh, what, MyTax, I don't know about. Alberta Innovates, obviously. What, you said MyTax? That's the only one I yeah, hadn't heard about. Yeah, well, I used to work there. It's M-I-T-A-C-S. Oh, oh, and- oh sorry. I, re- I, hear, I heard the word tax, but no, yes, the company used to work there. <laughs> sorry. I wrote the word tax. I'm like, what do you mean by tax? This is it tax breaks? What are we talking about? Oh, well, that's uh, a national. Connecting. Yeah. yeah that's a it. national nonprofit that creates um, internships between companies and um, university researchers and offers some funding to be able to help companies find the talent that they haven't been able to find, mostly on the research and development side, but also business Mm -hmm. skills as well. And as even larger, more established companies where you're looking to bring in people from the outside. And I just had... um Deborah Karash from the university. She's a professor over there, but also works in biotech. And she just talked about the opportunity, but also where companies struggle because biotech is a relatively new thing in Alberta. So hearing about what she was dealing with and hearing about that program, again, that's what I love about the show. You start to see all the cobweb, like gets, and we're all interconnected, but just sometimes we don't know the resources there. And I think that's been a bit of our Western Canadian. Like you said, there's a great things out there to be tapped into, but they don't, they don't always get tapped into the way they could. Exactly. And it does take some time and energy to be able to invest in researching what kind of programs are available. And so I appreciate that. And sometimes it does seem like where, where would one begin? And I hear from entrepreneurs, they're saying, well, I have, there's only so many hours in a day and am I going to invest in those, um, in putting my energy there? But I'm saying that I've seen so many companies have great payoff by making sure that they are seeking funding plus profile raising opportunities and again, business connections and introductions that can be made through those platforms and programs. I love what you said, profile raising and money raise. It's hard to invest in something you don't know about, right? You've got to get your profile out there. It is part of that process. This is what's the old joke. Don't, don't, don't wait to ask for money when you need it. Lay the groundwork well before in advance so when it comes that time, you've got the relationships and people are already bought into your story as a founder. Tell the story and then tell it again and then tell it again and then tell it to whoever listened and change it based on feedback and then keep telling it. Yeah, and those client stories too. That was like just going back to client marketing and um, some of the foundational pieces associated with product marketing, like making sure that you have really good client case studies, video case studies, and kind of the testimonials that speak to the value of your solution. I think also those are often overlooked in terms of um, kind of collateral or in the marketing mix because companies look to just want to talk about the product first and foremost, as opposed to telling the story about how they solved a problem. I think it was back to understand your persona, understand what they care about, not necessarily what you want to tell them because they don't always line up that way. And it's, yes. we're, it's so hard to put ourselves in the, in the customer's shoes, but there, you have no option if you want to really excel in it as a, as a marketer. Oh, Christine, I feel we could just go and go, and then you're going to start asking me questions. I know, I have another question for you. Okay, well, let's, we're, we're getting near the end, so if you want to save it, you can or no. Throw it out there. What's, what's the question? Hopefully, I can step up. Well, I would love to know when someone comes to you and says, we need social. We need a social, we need social presence. Hey, Tyler, can yep. you do social yep. for us? Tell me more about that. How do you respond to that? Because, again, uh, I think yep. like that's kind of table stakes, but also kind of back to our conversation about people saying, I have a website problem. Um, This is an entry point that sort of people think they understand, 
but it's complex to really get social right. So what's I want to hear what you hear? have to say. Yeah. What did I hear the other day? Uh, social media is like blackjack. It takes five minutes to learn, but a lifetime to master Some, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> because if you're not, you're gambling. So first of all, I would go and start. I feel like I'm cheating a little bit, but who's your customer and where are they for right. starters? Yeah. We need to be on Facebook. Do you? I don't know. Like for me, social is a fantastic platform, but it's a channel. So treat it as a channel and really understand yeah. the role it's going gonna, it's gonna to play. And also understand what you can do well. Don't set up all like four or five platforms and then post periodically on any of them right. whenever you feel like it. Be very, very disciplined. I'd like to, you know, I love the crawl, walk, run when it comes to social, but mm-hmm. treat it as a channel. Look at how it fits in your mix, understanding who your customer is and where, what they're going to that platform for. Like, you know, like you and I made the comment about Instagram. I think even before we push record, it starts to bridge the gap now between business and professional. So what right. does that look like? But I think, you know, for B2B companies, get your LinkedIn right. That's mandatory. I think YouTube, depending on the availability for your, if you have good videos and good demos, if you don't, is it a social media, is it a, some type of a blog or a white paper platform? But then how are you driving traffic to that? So thinking about, yeah, we've got all these white papers, but no one's reading them. Let's think about social now and how we can use that as a little bit of a channel building strategy to get your audience going, oh yeah, I follow you because you inform me in this way and make my, i.e. make my life better right. by either entertaining me or informing me. But I take a very disciplined approach to it. I'm a more, I'm a less is more person when it You're comes to social. A pragmatist around social. I try, I try to be, but I've met so many companies that want to, you're right, it's accessible because we know about it, but that doesn't mean we should we should go hang out there. But right. I believe it is ne- is necessary, but very strategically used is would be my answer to that. A very a, a very you know broad. That's question. a big <laughs> question, and uh, yeah. Thoughts? Do you, do you agree? Can we turn this into a debate of points? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I raise it because I again I do think that it's where a lot of companies go to think. Well, we need to be doing more there, but they don't really know. They oversimplify it. They hire um, someone straight out of school to post, and they think that really just frequency of posting is the key. Um, so no, I don't think I have a counter position to what you've said. Mostly just, I think the pendulum has, is swinging back, um, in terms of initially people were saying, I don't need to do any marketing except social media. And again, I thinking this is maybe like six years ago, people were saying that. And now there's an understanding that it's one component of the marketing mix And it can be very effective, but you need to have um, video. You need to have someone who's understanding the algorithms and how they're changing to be able to optimize that. And you really have to think of it in terms of your overall funnel. And it's just one activity that's helping to move people, drive awareness, and then move people through the funnel. It's not the be-all and end-all. Um, But it is important and it can be used, especially I also think I'm speaking mostly business to business here. I think for consumer, Mm -hmm. that's a a different story. You can certainly build a strong business using social media for if you're a small consumer brand. I agree. I think it's also a risk to to think that, well, I'm in B2B, so it doesn't matter. Your consumer moves effortlessly, though, effortlessly between shopping on Amazon one minute to going on your website the next, and they don't cut you a break because you're not Amazon. They still want a very similar user experience. For sure. And I think that's where we, you know, back, I think it was a few years ago was that whole, it's not B2B or B2C, it's human to human. And I think that was, that had a phase and it, yeah, it went away, but I don't think it's wrong. No, I was just about to say that actually is that I have heard increasingly that we should 
kill B2B as a term and we really should mm-hmm. be thinking um, B2C because the practices and the um, the practices are the same, the principles are the same, and the results are the same. Just maybe the, the yeah, like the marketing fundamentals, they are the same for no matter who you're selling to. Do you know who you're selling to with the why behind your brand and what problems it's solving? Mm-hmm. I think the one big differentiator, though, to, to piggyback on what you said, I sure. agree. But very rarely in my household do I have 10 people in a room to decide on a purchase decision that might have taken me four months to get there and it's millions of dollars. So there is some difference. There is <laughs> no, some you're difference. Right. Back to those I, personas, understanding yeah, so the I, I think there is a more complexity. Yes, yes, yes. yeah. Because, you know, the, the, the family CEO, whoever that may be, sometimes there's a discussion. Oftentimes the, pre, the purchases back to B2C being sometimes transactional, where B2B, you're often sometimes changing mindsets. You're trying to move a group of people. You're trying to get IT, procurement, product, corporate responsibility, indigenous affairs. You're trying to get them all aligned around a purchase. That is a tricky, that's a bit of a tricky beast than trying to get somebody to buy a well, brand of Well, sales cycles paper. quite a bit yes. longer <laughs> and more so, complex. You're right. But the diff- but the, the common thread is it's still a bunch of humans <laughs> that are being treated a certain way by their consumer brands and now being somehow treated differently by their enterprise like, like vendors. That's where I think we need to get be- we need to do better to, to respect it, but still know that it's a bunch of humans and we're all messy <laughs> having an emotional experience for sure. Christine, it was fantastic talking to you. I think we could keep, well, you're slowly turning the tables on me here. So this is me quickly, you know, backing out. Um, I, I, I love the chat. This is a good dialogue on marketing. It's, and part of why I wanted to bring this into the show is it is my other life. And it's one of my favorite topics because I, I believe it can move the needle in a business it is so effectively. Like it's, it is one of the most, you roll over your big toolkit of all the different drawers. There's a lot of options to help a company grow medium, large, provincially by thinking about marketing as an active lever to your business. So yeah, a bit of a pitch for marketing. I'm, I'm, I'm on the marketing bandwagon. <laughs> What's the best way for, uh, obviously Benevity, uh, go check them out online. And I'm, it was good to hear that you guys are also now coming more a little bit down market because it did feel like you probably got a lot of companies that are like, Oh, I can't go work with you because you guys are too big. But to hear that you're working your way down and providing that value is awesome. Yeah, we- How do people get a hold of you? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sure, no problem. I was just going to say, we always have been um, offering solutions to mid-market, and I think we're, but we've been sort of more proactive in terms of messaging that. You're right. It's an interesting observation that you made there. So I've got to make sure that I take that back to our messaging and positioning and and make sure we're knocking that out of the park around. Well, it's a, we, it's a different, it's a different persona group to your point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ultimately, Christine, we all have to take, drink our own Kool-Aid after this show. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so how can people reach me? LinkedIn, yeah. please. Um, it's Christine Gillis and you, you spell it Gillies, but you pronounce Ooh. it Gillis. That's I'm okay. sorry. I, I said it incorrectly at the beginning of the show. How would you know? I've been living with that my whole life. <laughs> And I called you Trevor many times, didn't I, Tyler? That 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 is, that is true. So yeah, okay. You know what? I guess even Stephen. All right, we're good. Okay, fair enough. That's right. I blocked that out. I've been called. I've been called worse, so it's okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tyler. It's My been pl- <laughs> really fun talking to you. I loved it, and uh, yeah, I feel it's a bit self-serving in terms of like, yeah, yeah, what you say, I agree. More of that. I know. Uh, you know I marketers, as marketers, we need to unite and uh, kind of raise the bar, which is, uh, I think, what this episode did a good job moving us in that direction. Thank you. Thanks so My much. My pleasure.